You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Thanks, Tom. I feel a little bit like I should be in a boy band, you know. If there's a key change and I get up off the stool or something, it's a... So I'm talking this morning on extravagant worship, as you can see on the screen. So firstly, I'd just like to explain what worship means. So worship is defined as expression of reverence for a deity. So very often when we think of worship, we think of singing, don't we? We think of the time of worship maybe that we have here on a Sunday. But worship can take many forms. And for somebody like me, that's a good thing. Now, I absolutely love worship, but I sing like a crow. And that is not just so that people will tell me, oh, no, Fiona, you have a lovely voice. I genuinely sing like a crow, okay? But I have said to God, you gave me this voice. Now you have to listen to it. So worship is not just singing. Worship is anything that we do that we do in service to God. So worship is when we talk to God. Worship is when we read the word of God. Worship is when we communicate God to other people. Worship is when we go to work. If you do what you do in service for the Lord, then you are worshiping him. So I just wanted to get that out of the way straight away so that you don't rule yourself out of it because you too sing like a crow. Now recently I had the um, pleasure of going to London for a weekend. I went with friends and we had a really nice time. But one of the things that we all noticed was these monuments which are scattered around the city. This particular one is called the Queen Victoria Memorial. And obviously, as the name suggests, it was a statue built in memory of Queen Victoria after she died. It was built, um, started to be built in 1905. And the, um, the designer or the architect behind the statue said, when asked about the, you know, the, the statue, he said that it was devoted to the qualities which made the Queen so great and so much beloved. But what I feel when I see something like this dedicated to a human being is I feel, what a waste. This statue is made of marble. It's then overlaid with gold. It cost thousands to build, took loads of workmen, took years to build, and it's all in honor of a human being. I just look at that and I think, what a waste. What else could have been done with those resources? with that time, with that skill. Now, that's not to say I don't appreciate art. I do. But to dedicate something so expensive to one human being. The first scripture we're looking at today talks about dedicating something that cost a lot of money and took a lot of time and a lot of skill to make. But the object of the dedication is God, not a human being. So we're going to look in Exodus. Now what we're looking at actually spans across about six chapters of Exodus. So you can breathe a sigh of relief. I'm not reading them all to you this morning. I'm just taking a very small extract from it. And this talks about the time when Moses went up the mountain. God called Moses up the mountain and he gave him instructions. And you're going to have to bear with me a little bit this morning because I'm speaking on two scriptures, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. And when you see them first, you may think, these have got nothing to do with each other. But I genuinely feel that God showed me 
that I was to link these two scriptures and that I was to teach on them this morning. So hopefully by the end of the morning, I will have done that. I'll have linked them. I'll have shown you where I see the similarities and what it is that we can learn from them. If not, I'll be outside and you can stone me afterwards. So the first scripture, as I said, is from Exodus. It's from chapters 25 and goes on till 31. And Moses is up the mountain. And God has called him up there on his own, and he's meeting with God. And while he's up the mountain, God is giving him very clear instructions. And Moses spends about 40 days and nights up the mountain listening to God. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not a mountain person. I know that there are people here that do a lot of mountain climbing. I'm not one of them. In fact, I have something to tell you. I grew up, as Tom mentioned earlier, in Killarney. And I grew up looking out of my parents' kitchen window at the Gap of Dunlow and Karen Toole. And I vowed as a small girl never to climb Karen Toole. I said, I'm never going to do it. And I'm very proud to say I never have. <laughs> and I never will. I'm not a mountain person. Some people love it. They love going up a mountain, being on their own. In fact, some people feel that they're close to God. I see Josie Heffernan at the back disgusted with me. I'm sorry, Josie. Some people feel closer to God when they're up a mountain. I think that I'd actually be running down the mountain screaming if somebody sent me up there. But Moses was called by God and in obedience, he went up the mountain and he got to meet God. Now, maybe if that was promised to me, I might go up Karen Tool. But while he was up there, God spent time detailing very clearly what he wanted Moses to do when he went back down. And the instructions were, you'll see on the screen, how to build the ark, how to build the tabernacle, which would host the ark, how to, build the pre how to, to make the priestly garments for the high priest. And the, the instructions were so detailed. And we're just going to look very closely, uh, very quickly together. The ark, which um, you can see here, there's this picture of on the screen, was made of acacia wood. It was made of pure gold. The cover, which was also called the place of atonement, we don't have the time to go into that, but it's very interesting. The place of atonement was where the blood of the animal would be sprinkled in order for the people to be cleansed and forgiven of their sin. That was made of pure gold. And on either end of the ark, you'll see in the picture, there were two cherubim, which were made from hammered gold. So there's a lot of gold gone into that ark. And that ark was to house the tablets that God had given to Moses with the law written on them. And then God went on. I mean, the instructions are very, very detailed. But one of the next things we're looking at is that God told them how to make the high priest robes. And there was a lot of detail in those robes. And one, just one of the pieces of that robe was a chest piece that the high priest would wear on the ephod. And the chest piece was to be made of finely woven linen, embroidered with gold, with blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And then on it, there were to be four rows of gemstones. And then they named the gemstones. A red carnelian, a pale green peridot, an emerald, a turquoise, a blue lapis lazuli, a white moonstone, an orange jacinth, an agate, a purple amethyst, a blue-green beryl, an onyx, and a green jasper. And all of those were to be set in gold filigree. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know what half of those are. I have never heard of half of those. I have one diamond ring. That's it. Now, maybe you have a jewelry box on your dresser at home overflowing with lapis lazuli and peridots, but I certainly don't. But God was asking the people of Israel 
to give their very best to give everything they had, to give the very best of material. And he specified that only the finest craftsmen were to work on these things. Why? Because he's worth it. This is God, after all. And this was the first place of worship for the people of Israel after they had been brought out of Egypt. The first place that they could worship their God. The first time that a high priest was ever going to go and make atonement for the people's sins. And God was telling them, only the very best will do. So while Moses was up the mountain, he said to his brother Aaron, you're to look after the people while I'm gone up the mountain with God. You're in charge. I trust you. So let's read what Aaron and the people got up to while Moses was up the mountain. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, oh, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they had handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. So Moses is up the mountain meeting with God, hearing very, very, very clear instructions as to how God was to be worshipped. And Aaron and the lads are below, throwing their gold into a fire and worshipping whatever came out. Now, if I was Moses, I'd be fairly mad about that, would you? They are left alone for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, bear in mind, this is a very short time after God dramatically rescued them from Egypt. Dramatically, I mean plague upon plague upon plague. A sea split open so they could walk through on dry land. Their enemy then washed away by that very same sea. And a very short time afterwards, the lads go, I don't know where Moses has gone. I'm sick of waiting for him. What do we do? I'm a bit bored. And Aaron goes, I oh, do you know what we'll do? We'll throw our gold into the fire. And whatever comes out, we'll worship it. Seriously? I don't understand it. What were they thinking? And you know what? When Moses came back down and saw what had happened, he was mad. He was so mad, in fact, that he threw the two stone tablets that he'd received at the mountain, threw them on the ground in a fit of temper, and they broke. And he ended up having to go back up and get other ones. <laughs> but... He said to Aaron, what are you doing? And Aaron said to him, oh, it wasn't my fault. Like, you know, they, they pestered me into doing it. And then all I said to them was, right, we'll put the gold in and whatever comes out, we'll worship it. Now, that is not what this says here. Look at it again. They handed what, he took what they handed him, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. That sounds like a bit of work to me doesn't sound like I'll throw this in there now and sure it's not my fault then whatever comes out if they worship it no he then built an altar for it so Aaron was wiping his hands of something that he actually took charge of he did this and he led the people as well now I'm moving on to our New Testament scripture and I'm hoping that we'll see the link by the end of it our New Testament scripture comes from the gospel of John but it's actually found in three out of the four gospels 
Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. So this takes place in Bethany, and it tells us that it was after Lazarus had been raised from the dead. So Lazarus was one of Jesus' friends. He had died while Jesus was away. Jesus was called back. By the time he got there, Lazarus had been buried. But Jesus called him out of the grave and raised him from the dead. Martha and Mary are Lazarus' brother and sister. And now they're throwing a celebration meal in honor of Jesus. He, he brought their brother back from the dead. The least that they could do was throw a party for him, wasn't it? So while this is happening, Martha is, as usual, serving. And Mary is, as usual, at the feet of Jesus. But this time, Mary does something extremely unusual. It tells us in the scripture that she took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. Now, can you picture the scene? Sometimes what happens when we read scripture is we've heard these stories maybe since growing up. And they've been told to us in a way that remove them a little bit from us. And we can't imagine what that must feel like. So I'm going to ask you to imagine a dinner party that you were at sometime in the recent past or even in the last 20 years. Imagine that you're at this dinner party. And in the middle of the dinner or at the end of the dinner, one of the hosts gets up, takes out a really expensive bottle of perfume. You're like Chanel number no. 5 multiplied by 1,000 and pours it over the feet of the guest of honor. And then gets down on her knees, lets down her hair, and starts wiping the feet with her hair. Would you feel comfortable? I don't think I would. I'd actually be suddenly going, oh, I just remembered. I forgot to lock the front door. I better go home there. I'll be back later. I'd feel very uncomfortable if I was at that dinner party. Now, remember, at the time, yes, foot washing was definitely more um, common than it is nowadays. It's not something that we do for our guests nowadays, is it? Well, I certainly don't. I'm going to do another confession here. I hate feet. <laughs> hate them. I think they are one of the ugliest parts of the human body. Awful. I do like my own feet, but not anybody else's, Okay think they're horrible. So the thought of pouring perfume on somebody's feet and then using my hair to dry it off turns my stomach, okay? Mary obviously didn't have that problem, but that for me would just be repulsive, okay? So I can't imagine sitting at a dinner party where this happens. The other thing we must remember is culturally a woman's hair was always tied up. She did not leave her hair down in public, but Mary doesn't care about this here. She wants to honor Jesus. So she leaves down her hair. She gets down on her knees and she wipes the perfume, rubs it into his feet using her hair. Can you imagine what the other dinner guests must have been thinking? The other dinner guests were the apostles and maybe a few others that aren't mentioned. But can you imagine what they must have been thinking? Well, we don't have to imagine because we get their reaction in the next portion of scripture. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. 
He was a thief, and since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So how did they react? Instead of maybe having their stomachs turned like I would have, instead of suddenly remembering the chicken that they had in the oven at home, instead of maybe just shifting a little uncomfortably in their seats and starting muttering amongst themselves, they reacted with outrage. And we're told in the other Gospels, in Matthew and Mark, that Judas wasn't alone in his outrage, that the other disciples joined in. And their outrage was not at the fact that a woman had taken down her hair and was wiping Jesus' feet. It was not at the fact that she did this in front of them and they were uncomfortable. It was the fact that they found it wasteful. They looked at this act of pure worship and they said, what a waste. Do you know what we could have done with that money? Do you know if we'd sold that perfume, how many people we could have fed? How many people we could have looked after? Mary was honoring the king of kings with the thing that was most expensive in her home. And all they saw is what they could have done with it. They weren't moved to worship alongside her. They weren't moved by her extravagant act of worship. They were outraged. And we're told, John doesn't mince his words here when he talks about Judas. We're told that Judas' outrage was on his own behalf. He wasn't really concerned about the poor. Apparently, Judas, as the treasurer of the group, enjoyed minding the money and taking a little pocketful for himself every time. So every time money was given to Jesus and the disciples in order to fund their ministry, Judas would pocket a little percentage for himself. So what Judas saw here was not an extravagant act of worship. When he saw that perfume poured over Jesus' feet, he saw his own percentage pouring down the drain. That's all that bothered him. That's what he was outraged about. He was thinking about himself. But what did Jesus do? Jesus said, sorry, I need to move on, sorry. We're moving into the next portion of scripture because what did Judas do next? Judas, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. From that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. In his anger, after seeing Mary at Jesus' feet, after seeing her extravagantly worship Jesus, Judas, in his anger, decided, I'm not going to be done out of money. I'm not going to lose my cut of that perfume that could have been sold. I'm going to make money my own way. And off out he headed and decided to betray Jesus. At that very moment, that was his reaction. Instead of being moved to worship the King of Kings, he decided to betray the king of kings. He sold him out for about a third of what Mary's perfume was worth. Her perfume was estimated to be about a year's wage and his 30 pieces of silver were about a third of a year's wage. That's the value that Judas placed on Jesus. But I want to move back very slightly now and see, well, what did Jesus Jesus say to the disciples? Look at the bottom of the screen there. It says that he said, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus said, back off, guys. Leave her alone. 
Now, I can't imagine what Mary must have felt like at that moment. So she did this very intimate, very um, precious thing for Jesus. Then she gets this onslaught of anger and abuse from all, it would sound, like of the people around the table. And then Jesus stands up and says, back off. Leave her alone. And why does he tell them to leave her alone? There are three reasons. Firstly, she and she alone had recognized his worth. She knew that it wasn't a waste. She knew that pouring her most expensive possession over the feet of Jesus was not wasteful. It was exactly what he deserved. Remember the chest piece with all of those beautiful jewels in it? God, from the very outset, said, I deserve the very best. And Mary recognized that. Secondly, he told them, you won't always have me here. Now, he wasn't dissing the poor. Jesus wasn't saying, Yara, the poor look after themselves. Don't worry about them. Not at all. Jesus was saying, you'll have plenty time to look after the poor. Jesus commanded them to look after the poor, just like he commands us to look after the poor. He commanded them to do so, but he told them, you will have loads of time to minister to the poor. But this is it, guys. These are my final days with you. This is the last time that you'll be able to touch me. This is Mary's opportunity to be down at my feet worshipping me. She knows the right place to be. And lastly, she said that he, she, he said that she prepared him for his burial. Interestingly, when Jesus died, so in the custom of the time, when the person died, their body would be prepared then. They would be embalmed, they would have special oils and perfumes put on them. But when Jesus was crucified, there was no time. The sun was, was, was setting, the Sabbath was starting, they had to quickly put him into a tomb. And do you remember then on Sunday morning, the women came back to embalm him? But where was he? Gone. He had risen already. So Mary prepared him now while he was still alive for the burial because there wouldn't be time afterwards. So she, of all the people in the room, it seemed like she was the only person that got it, that understood that the time with Jesus was short and precious and that he was the king of kings. So what can we learn from Mary? Let's look at what she did. She sat at his feet. She sat with him and she learned from him. And while she was sitting, she was talking with him and she was fellowshipping with him and she was hearing his voice and she was learning from him and about him. And that's what we can do. We can sit with Jesus. Take the time out from your busy week, from your busy life and sit with Jesus. Learn from him, fellowship with him, hear his voice. Because true worship comes from a desire to know more of God. What else did Mary do? She surrendered. She gave up everything she had to Jesus. She gave over her most precious thing and poured it over his feet of all places. But we too can surrender. We can give our most precious thing, which for us really is ourselves, isn't it? Isn't that what we usually value the most? Ourselves, our time, our energy, our passions, 
we too can surrender. Because true worship comes from the heart of a redeemed person who recognizes the value of Jesus Christ and surrenders to him. And lastly, she honored him. She gave everything she had. She gave up her own dignity and she sat at Jesus' feet. And we too can honor him in everything that we do and in everything that we say. Because true worship comes from a heart that desires Jesus above all else. John Piper says, Devotion to Jesus is nothing less than the precious gift of one's whole self. He deserves it, doesn't he? Our everything. So my question for you this morning is, are you a Moses or an Aaron? Are you going to meet God on the mountain and learn the proper way to worship him? Or are you going to get distracted by a golden calf? Now we might think, well, we're never going to throw our jewelry into the fire and a calf will pop out and we're going to worship. But of course not. But we do get distracted by things, don't we? We get distracted so easily by our phones, by our television, by our friends, by our family, by our jobs, by things that are, are not necessarily bad for us, but the take away from Jesus. That's our golden calf. But you know what? And this is where the hope comes from. Guess who got to wear that chess piece? Aaron. First high priest. He got to wear that chess piece because God redeems and God restores and it is never too late to turn your back on your golden calf and turn your eyes upon Jesus. Are you a Mary or a Judas? Now nobody puts their hand up to the Judas one. I don't think any of us set out in our Christian walk and say, you know who I'm going to model myself on? Judas. I think I'd make a great Judas. Nobody does that, do we? But we could easily turn into a Judas. We could easily get outraged at things that don't matter. We could easily turn our eyes away from Jesus and sell him out, couldn't we? If we sell Jesus short, then maybe we are more like Judas. Don't sell him short. Be a Mary. Sit at his feet. Pour out your most valuable possession, which is your time, your resources, your energy, your heart, your worship at the feet of Jesus because he is worth it. And he will say, you have done the right thing. Back off, everybody else. This person has chosen the right thing. Romans 12.1 tells us, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. So I'm going to call the worship team back up now. And as they come back up, I just want to say this morning, as we pray, let us pray that we would be more like Moses. Let us pray that we would be more like Mary. Let us pray that our eyes would be taken away from the golden calves in our lives. Let us pray that we would not sell Jesus short, but that we would fall at his feet. That we would be willing to go up the mountain and sit with him and learn from him. Because that is the better part. So we're going to pray after this together. And I'm going to encourage you now as we sing that you would offer up whatever it is that has distracted you from God. Whatever it is that has taken your eyes off of him. Whatever it is that you have decided to spend your time on. Just offer it up to God. Put it in your hands. Let that be my encouragement. Can I ask you to stand? Let's stand as we worship.
If you have something that you know has taken you away from serving and worshiping God in an extravagant manner, put it in your hands. Offer it up to God right now as we sing. Rawl's going to lead us in worship and then I'll be back up to pray. I surrender I want to know you more I want to know you more I surrender I surrender I want to know you more I want to know you more Like a rushing wind Jesus breathed within Lord have your way Lord have your way
yet, is he? Okay, so we're just going to close in prayer this morning. And with the, light, the guys are going to lead us out with the song. Father God, I just thank you for everything that you have done for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for everyone that has come into this room this morning, Lord God. I thank you for everyone that got out of their beds this morning, Lord God, because they know that you are worth it. They know that coming into the house of God is the best way to start their day. I thank you, Lord Jesus, because you meet us here and you bless us. I pray, Lord Jesus, as we go about our week now, Lord God, that you would be with us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would communicate your spirit to every single person we meet, Lord God. And I pray that our lives would be dedicated to you, Lord God. I pray that we would make fresh dedications, Lord Jesus, fresh outpourings of our lives as a sacrifice for you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Amen. Have a blessed week. You're welcome to stay in the building. There's coffee upstairs. If you have to go, be blessed. Have a great week. The guys are going to lead us out with a song.